It's literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? speaking you're listening to episode 89 of love that album podcast so glad you could join me now normally the format of the show is i get together with another guest host and we discuss an album that we love hence the name of the show love that album but from time to time i get an interview with someone and you know just we'd like to mix the show up this time i've uh, got an interview and really what an interview it is the man you're going to hear me speak to over this episode is darian sahanaja now he was one of the songwriters and lead singers of a fantastic group that started i guess in the late 80s early 90s called wonderments not the wonderments but wonderments and they put out a bunch of really fantastic albums. I guess they were, you know, part of the Los Angeles power pop scene. But, I mean, I, I guess they had their different sound from groups like Jellyfish and Matthew Sweet. And we talk a little bit about that over the course of the interview. However, his main project for the last 15, 16, 17 years has not been so much with the Wonderments as a band, although it is a project that involves all the Wonderments. There I go saying the Wonderments. It's actually just Wonderments. Uh, Wonderments were incorporated into the larger band that is Brian Wilson's touring and recording band. So Darian and the rest of Brian Wilson's band and Brian Wilson himself, as a matter of fact, uh, were just in Australia starting another world tour in which they're going to be playing pet sounds for uh, the last time as an entity live i mean i'm guessing that brian will continue touring but be playing other works but i think he wants to put pet sounds to bed as a live concern uh, it's the 50th anniversary so i spoke to darian about was it one or two weeks after he'd gone and played in melbourne at the uh, palais theater uh, in st kilda put in a magnificent show we got to hear some well-known beach boys tunes a few obscure beach boys tunes pet sounds in its entirety and it was an absolutely fantastic night with some gorgeous harmonies from the band and some absolutely fantastic musicianship and it was just a treat just to see brian out the middle there's you know like the composer leading his orchestra it was absolutely wonderful so darian's role in the band we discussed that a little bit but i think the term that was granted to him on stage was musical secretary i'll let Darian describe what that actually means, what that actually entails. So through the course of the interview, we talk about his role in Brian Wilson's band, but we also talk a lot more as well about Wonderments as a band before they uh, became incorporated into Brian's band and uh, their fantastic albums like Barley, Mind If We Make Love To You, and that's really got to go down as one of the great album titles of all time. The Wonderful World of Wonderments, which is a 
cover band, and I'll let a cover band, a cover album, and I'll uh, let Darian explain why so early in their career. Only on their second album, they ended up recording an entire album of covers, and you know their influences. You know, very much to the fore. You can hear it in their songs. You know, they've obviously, besides listening to uh, a lot of Beach Boys and probably more Brother Era, uh, Brother Records Era Beach Boys, uh, is the sort of stuff that influences them. But you can also hear a lot of the zombies in their work. You can hear some Who. You can definitely hear some Kinks, Love, all these great bands from the 60s and the 70s. But it influences it and inspires them because it's the love of that music that brought... Darian and his co-songwriting partner Nick Walusko together but it doesn't dictate they're not a pastiche band but this music definitely does influence the way they write and arrange their material it's absolutely fantastic you'll hear some music clips throughout the interview uh, and you should definitely go search some of these albums out and particularly Barley and Mind If We Make Love To You uh, they also put out an album sort of of uh, odds and sods called Kaleidoscoping which included their take on the Henry Mancini composed theme for uh, the fantastic Blake Edwards film The Party and that also led to them writing the uh, one of the songs one of the main songs for the first Austin Powers film yep Austin Powers, he's the man for you. That was written by Darian Sahanaja and performed by Wonderment. So uh, if you claim that you haven't heard them before, well, maybe you actually have. Certainly you have if you've seen that film. So, look, anyway, I've gone and blabbed on enough as to what this show entails. I think just one more thing that I'll make mention to, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and uh, speak a little bit more at the end of the program, at the end of the interview, I should say. Uh, but uh, one other thing is that... Um, as part of the interview, we ended up discussing for you know, a good 20 to 25 minutes about Darian's involvement with the uh, uh, Brian biopic that came out in 2015, Love and Mercy. He had a lot to do with coaching Paul Dano, the wonderful actor who played the younger Brian. And also he had a lot to do with the scenes in the film that involved the wrecking crew. And basically, because that was so fascinating, I decided that I'd make that as a separate show which will be included on the See Here podcast feed. Now, if you've not listened to See Here, please go and do it. It's uh, the other podcast I'm involved with, with my very, very good friends Tim Merrill and Bernard Stickwell. We talk about films that have music in some way as part of the subject matter, part of the story. It could be a documentary or it could be a narrative You've probably heard me blab on about it on this show, but just in case you haven't been tempted to give it a listen, well, Darian is going to be talking primarily about his music, his own music uh, with Wondermints and with uh, Brian Wilson's band and also a couple of other really interesting projects that he's been involved in over the years. But on the See Here Extra episode that I'll be putting out sometime in April, it'll be just that part of the interview where all we're talking about is love and mercy. And if you can go back through our archives, back in February of 2016, we spoke about love and mercy in its own right. But I just thought that, you know, this was such a really interesting discussion and he had a lot of fantastic things to say about his involvement with that film. I thought I'd make that a separate See Here episode because, well, you know, it's about a movie and a musical movie and that's what See Here is all about. So please go and check that out and if you're so tempted, please go back through the archives. We'd be very, very grateful. All right, enough of this blathering on. We'll just go to a quick break 
and then uh, please enjoy the interview that I recently had with Darian Sahanaja and I'll be back at the end of the episode to uh, fill you in on a little bit of activity, a little bit of details about uh, things that are happening at Love That Album headquarters. We'll be back after this break. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash lovethatalbum and start a music-related discussion. They discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook, or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com. The See Here Podcast. It's a blast. Welcome back to episode 89 of Love That Album Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And I am mega excited, as I've probably already sort of gone and indicated to you earlier on in the show. I have on the other end of a Skype connection, Mr. Darian Sahanaja, main songwriter, or one of two main songwriters of the band Wondermints, and also, are, are you musical director of uh, Brian Wilson's band or, or just keyboard player? What, what's your role? <laughs> well, they call me the musical secretary because That's I, right. <laughs> we all really work well together. And uh, Brian, the main thing is Brian trusts me and the and, and the rest to just, he just feels like his music is in good hands because, mm. you know, he's never, I would say that even during his heyday, he was very... His ideas came quick, fast, and very immediate, and he just wanted to get it done. And back in the day when, in the days when you have, you're only working with three or four tracks of a multi-track, and 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 you've got a whole bunch of musicians in the room, he worked he worked great under those uh, conditions because you know I think the idea of 24 plus tracks 
sort of it's it's intimidating to him. It's just sort of not. His, you know what I mean? It, it pulls away from the immediacy of of it all. So he does rely on 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 some of us to uh, deal with the modern technology and 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 stuff. So, but I, I mean, I gather that you know, just like you know, with the Beatles with Sergeant Pepper at the time, you know, four tracks, a whole four tracks, was a revelation. I'm sure that uh, yeah. he found that uh, working. You know, on you know, say look, with Pet Sounds and Smile and you know, Beyond, uh, as you know, the studio became his instrument, and getting those other multiple tracks. I mean, yes, sure, the technology is different, but the idea, I, I guess, is the same. Yeah. It's just you can do things maybe slightly easier or in a different way, but the mentality is still the same. You still have these multiple tracks, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that he has he ever told you did he sort of gravitate towards that naturally back at that time? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I've never re- actually even thought about it, that how it coincided with his withdrawal. You know, like when, when he sort of stepped back after the disappointment of Smile, he he kind of, he stepped back into more of a background role and let the other guys kind of take over. And that was around the time, technologically, that that things started to get into more of the eight track and then the 16 track. And I'm sure he appreciated all that, but it was interesting. It's interesting that it coincided with his not being the, you know, the, the guy that's that you hear on those recordings where he's just com- has such command over the studio musicians and the, and the singers, you know, it, it's, I, I don't, he's never really expressed to me at least personally, how he enjoyed having more tracks. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, and knowing him, having worked with him these past wow, seventeen years now, wow. I, I, I can I can say with all confidence that he really enjoys just the 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 immediacy or the instantaneous feeling that he gets from a whole ba- bunch of people either playing or singing together, you know, as as opposed to the multi-track layering thing, which which you know he he'll. He can he can appreciate that, but it's just not the same kind of. I mean, you think of Pet Sounds and, and and that period where he's basically rather than thinking, well, yeah, we'll turn that down in the track, we'll turn that track down in the mix. Mm. No, he's 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 saying you move closer to the mic or you play a little louder. You play. so he's essentially mixing while he's right, mixing. right. He's making that record live, and and that's it. And he's ha- and, and all it is in the end is just balancing the the three or four tracks that he had. You know? I mean, one thing that's struck me as a little bit peculiar was that he never released an album that was purely a cappella all the way. I mean, I, I, last Sunday uh, when you were performing in Melbourne, and I should say to listeners that I'm speaking to at the end of your um, was it two weeks or so Australian tour. And at the, the start of the show, when uh, you guys went into Our Prayer off the Smile album, and he said, okay, we're going to do this first song completely a cappella, no instruments at all. And
he seemed to have you know, like some sort of excitement, childish excitement in his voice at the thought of yeah. doing that. He wanted to show off the band's voices and just <laughs> how the the meld uh, and how it all meshed so well. So, has he yeah. ever spoken to you about you know the idea of maybe doing a whole album or at least you know a few tracks completely a cappella? You know, surprisingly, no, he has not. I, I that's interesting. I, again, I've never thought of that. Although we have been talking about possibly reintegrating some of we used to do more acapella pieces you know in the shows and and now we all we really have are doing is our prayer at the top of the show but i know that he enjoys it, it it's it's I, I would think brian brian gets he's so restless i i imagine that he he would like it and then after a while he'd be jonesing to have drums and bass and guitar <laughs> again you know you'd want to rock yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> just sure you wouldn't get that rocking feeling from just voices only. But if you're talking about an album only acapella? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like record? Because mm. I, I know that um, however many years back when there was a box set uh, of, yeah. of uh, pet sounds and outtakes and things like that, and one of the CDs was just the vocals. Yeah, and, the vocals. And, uh, you know, it sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, it, it always sort of came forth just listening to, you know, the actual released album as it is, those harmonies still stand out, but just in absence of, of the wrecking crew, it, yeah. it really brings forth, my God, these, these guys, they, you know, were, were the supreme singers. They really had that added benefit advantage of whatever you want to call it, of just having one of the most magical blends, vocal blends in, in pop, history i mean it's mm. it's like you know i'm sure you I, if i understand correctly you you, you sing in a in a acapella i, I do group yes of, yes i do yeah, yeah. so you, you can appreciate when things really when there's that's just that magical you know there's a there's a when when you're when you're all blending perfectly and it just sings you know and the when the overtones are just right in this particular chord like like I could I could say if you get four decent singers together it could sound the chances that maybe 30% of it will be will sound amazing are 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 good but the chances of of having you know 80 to 100% of anything you sing together sound amazing is really really rare and that's what the beach boys had and a lot of like sibling type acts like the Bee Gees or the Carpenters or, you know, when, when you get into those kind of, there's just something about sibling when, when you have a, a Brian, Carl and Dennis, and then you have a cousin and then you have, it, it just, there's, there's something about the way that the harmonics and the overtones, they just are so uh, pleasing, yes. you know, there's a pleasing thing about it. And I don't, I, you know, you can't really explain it to anybody. It just, you, people just react to it because it just sounds so pleasant. There was, there's been a whole bunch of things I've sort of wanted to ask, which we'll get to in a minute, but while we're still talking on the idea of harmony, I'm going to throw in a Wonderments-related question to you. I mean, I've got a bunch of Wonderments-related stuff, but while we're on the <laughs> harmony thing, I've been drowning myself in their album Bali, which you know yeah. we spoke about before we started recording, and I've long been a fan of Mind If We Make Love To You and Kaleidoscoping. And it seems like, because a lot of what the Wonderments did as in their own right before sort of being absorbed into Brian's band was, you know, you you were taking, it sound, sounded to me like styles of other bands that you loved, writing your own songs but paying tribute. So you'd sort, 
have an idea what inspired that song. And there were some songs that sounded to me like, uh, so if there was a song that had, uh, it, it might have been a Beach Boys type tribute, you sounded, you're, you mixed or you blended your vocals in a Beach Boys type of way. But then there were, uh, there were other tracks, um, so like uh, the song Chris Craft. Is you know to me very obviously sounds like a Who trippy you know where um, you have uh, uh, Mike D'Amico your drummer playing like Keith Moon but even the the uh, moments in the it, it really recalls to me something like I can see from Mars and they sound very much like Who harmonies you couldn't confuse it with Beach Boys harmony so I guess my very long winded introduction the, the question is how. Is it? Do you guys sort of consciously say, right, we need to take a different vocal attack here to make this sound like the Who harmonies, or we need to do something to make this sound like Beach Boys harmonies, or Zombies harmonies, or or, beat, or whichever style that you're sort of aiming to make tribute to? If, is that a fair assessment? I would say yes, except that, believe it or not, I don't know that we're that conscious of it you know i mean or, or i should say that when we're actually we're, we're actually planning it I, I don't really think that we're actually planning to do so but when it happens you know here comes the part okay what do we do here well what sounds what feels best here yep. you know, and we do that and maybe we yeah we maybe subconsciously are channeling the things that we love and yes of course we're, we're, we're students of all the things that you've that you've mentioned but like for example it's interesting that you hear the who in that and and we although we love the who we probably when i think of the song i think even more specific like beyond the who and the, the, the bands that the who and who affect uh, uh influence like uh, like the move you yes know? or 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 even um the small faces or you know it, it's the who is an obvious yeah, the drumming of that Mike is probably in the style of, yes, yeah, well, actually, yes, it's a very Keith Moon kind of thing. But, like, I don't know, it, it, sometimes I hear that song and I know that we were, moments of it are very sort of Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd and the guitar. Sure. You know, there, there's all sorts of things that we love and whatever comes to the forefront and whatever uh, connects with people is, is what it's going to be. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that was so much a Beach Boys harmony thing we were going for as much as maybe maybe a move like a Roy Wood kind of thing. And even Roy was it was a huge fan, Brian fan. So, <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I was um, re-listening uh, to uh, the Bali album this morning and uh, spoke of a real world. Sort of reminded me, it made me think of Beach Boys. Uh, as channeled via XTC. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because their, their song, uh, Wrapped in Grey, yeah. uh, sounds to me like their tribute to the Beach Boys. And it sort of made me, it, it lent to me in that direction. Uh, and your song, uh, Telemetry, uh, yeah. sounds like to me like you'd been listening to a lot of Odyssey and Oracle, but yeah. had also been listening to a lot of Elvis Costello. It, it, it sounded like that, that good blend. Well, yeah, all these things are great. <laughs> Good that you're picking up on those because those are all things I definitely love. And and again, I mean, we're not ones to deny our, you know, I I, I just it really bugs me when bands when their influence is pointed out and they kind of play that card of like, oh, well, I, I, oh, we're doing our own thing, you know. But I, we don't mind wearing our influences on our sleeves. My attitude on on a lot of pop music is that. Most of it's kind of been done, so it's just more about how you take these notes and sounds and textures and kind of put it all together and hopefully, because of the way it's presented, might come off in a hopefully a new and fresh way. I mean, when you think about the way the I mean, you talk to the, the Beatles, you know, they all, they, they all say, oh yeah, we were just kind of doing the Everly Brothers and Roy Orbison and, you know, we were... We were paying tribute. They really, you know, we were, we were paying tribute to all the people we love, but they just happened to do it in a way that sounded fresh. And, and the same with the Beach Boys. If you talk to Brian, he says, "Oh yeah, I was just four freshmen, yes. Chuck Berry, and and yeah, I mean, you listen to four freshman records, you go, oh my god, those guys really, <laughs> Brian really nicked so much of that. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somehow, when it's combined with all the other elements, well, being more rock and roll and uh, the chord and the chord changes, and it, it just felt new and different. And and you know that, that's what any artist would hope for. I, I, I again, I, I completely appreciate when people could uh, point out our 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 influences. But at the same time, I hope that it becomes its own thing too, you know? Oh, it definitely has. Look, I, I mean, at this stage, I guess I'm not sure how many of my listeners know much about Wonderment, and it's not the Wonderment um, uh, background. <laughs> I, so so let's just, um, as a, a bit of an intro, so yeah, tell us about it. So basically, Wonderment, as it currently is, is yourself. Uh, Nick Walusko, Mike D'Amico, and Probin Gregory, who you know, and you're all playing in Brian's band. But just to set the tone, can you give us a, a bit of uh, a background? How did you guys actually uh, find each other? And I know that there were other people who were in and out of the band along the way, but just give the listeners a bit of a background as to uh, where Wonderments actually came from. Uh, well, I met Nick Walusko way back in the '80s. <laughs> Uh, if you remember that decade, and uh, we, uh, afraid I do. Yeah, <laughs> and interestingly enough, again, like you know, we just you, know, you meet somebody and and you start you hit it off right away with with mutual passions for you know films and art and humor and you know we like the same type we like brunettes over blondes you know, all these <laughs> kind of, you know those kind of things and then and then within the first five minutes it was Brian Wilson's smile bootlegs you know we were talking about smile bootlegs in yes 19, in 1983 like oh my god have you heard the latest batch that got released so i met nick then and we just became really really good friends uh with no no designs on being in a band or anything because we weren't really into we weren't that the whole sort of 
well, let's get together and jam and, and you know form a band and play in front of people that wasn't really something that that was exciting to us what was more exciting to us was that I had a four track multi you know like a little four track recorder and we wanted to explore those horizons you know just the, the idea of multi-tracking and and we started off maybe by yeah by doing some of our favorite obscure covers I think the first thing we ever covered together was Faking It by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I just went from there, and we just really, we found out, we found that we both really loved, more than playing live, we, we, we loved the studio as, a, as an instrument. Just, you know, playing with sounds and combining sounds and multi-tracking harmonies and textures and things like that. We, we really enjoyed the, the recording like a, like, a, like a canvas and, you know, painting with sound and nice, nice. um and we found that we both really thought of music as as being very cinematic you yes, know yes, it's yes, like very yes. visual and and it was that way for years and again we we, we had friends that were in bands we, we we saw friends get signed and then get locked into these really really bad record deals where they couldn't do anything else but you know be trapped in limbo and we just had no desire to be in a band he wrote his own some of his own songs i didn't write so much for myself i may have done a few things for some friends but never really anything for myself but uh towards the end of the 80s we had gotten really good at four track recording <laughs> so like he borrowed my four track for like a couple months and and then he comes back with these songs that are incredible. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to take a stab at that as well. So I had some some things that were sitting around and then I had to just sort of kind of finalize them. And then I, I did four or five songs. And before you know it, we had a collection of songs and that, that were very, very simpatico with one another. I mean, we both again, we both had a lot of the similar taste, so it wouldn't wasn't it wasn't really a surprise that they sounded good together. Yep. So we thought, well, what are we going to do? We started playing them for some friends and they're just like, "Oh, man, you got to you know, you got to put this out or something." And, you know, I don't know if we want to go that far, but we'll we'll put them on a cassette and hand them out. Right. You know, and that's what we did and we handed them out to friends and then that led to uh, the tapes getting around and people asking, oh, you know, first thing that people tend to ask when they hear music, are you guys playing anywhere? You know, it's always that <laughs> question. And then, so that led to this, I remember a really big decision for us to open for another band. Uh, and it was just Nick and I, and we had a drum machine. And, you know, it started that way. So I had a very humble beginnings and then it kind of grew organically from there. And then we had a, Guy, actually, the the fellow that was in the that the guitarist of the band that we opened for ended up really being taken by our music and and uh, asked if he can just sort of play bass for us and where he didn't that's all he wanted to do was just you know, sit back and play bass the bass lines to to our songs he loved the music that much so so then it grew out of that then we had a bass player and a drum machine yes <laughs> and then then that grew and the people wanted to. Asking us to actually play in proper venues with, with the big sound systems, and you know, and that then came the time that, well, maybe we need to look for a drummer. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where we found Mike, 
And so that was the band. And, and then shortly after that, our tapes somehow, I think I know how it was. Nick and I produced a gal. Her name is Lisa Michaels. We produced, she asked us to produce a, a, a Christmas record for her. And that was, they had a budget and everything. So we went in the studio, recorded that. And it ended up having a, a, a like a sound to it. And I think that's when Nick and I really realized, wow, you know, there's a there's a thing that we, we bring to the table. And that was that album was courted by some Japanese labels, that this Christmas album by Lisa Michaels. And in Japan they always like to know every little detail of everything. So so when they found out that, oh, who are the you know, who are the writers and producers of this record? Well, it's these guys, and then that's when our somehow these cassette tapes that we had handed out to friends made their way to two two different people. One was the desk of Eric Carmen. Mm. I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah. yes, yeah, all by myself. Uh, yes, and the raspberries and uh, right, yes, yes. And I think it got to his desk because somebody had reviewed one of our cassettes in a in a local small magazine and made the comparison to to a raspberries song or something so he somehow got to his desk and he was apparently very very taken by it and to the point where i got a phone call and i thought it was a prank you know but it was it was, it was actually eric himself because I was, I was a huge fan and so he came down to one of our rehearsals and decided to uh he thought he'd take a shot at trying to like help us along, try to get a record deal or something like that, and that that never never happened. But uh, the Japanese thing, uh, unbeknownst to us, was <laughs> our cassettes were uh, apparently making their rounds to different labels in in Japan, and then we ended up getting a call about uh, licensing a bunch of the songs that we had on those cassettes yes. as an album. So our first album self-titled came out in Japan and it, it was, it was, I, I thought we would, we would have to re-record a lot of those songs because a lot of those songs were done on our little four track <laughs> for the studio, but they, the, the head of this one label just loved them so much that he didn't want us to even touch them. He just thought they were great as is. Yep. I mean, I listen to those recordings and I think, well, you know, they're charming, but gosh, you know, they could have been recorded so much better. Right. <laughs> but uh, hey, you know, wh whatever moves people is, is, is fine. Um, I don't know if you've ever gotten a hold of our first record. Uh, I have heard it. I have heard it. I do mean to get hold of a, a, a proper CD of it, but yeah. uh, you know, um, Proto Pretty you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. was such a such a great early '60s poppy sort of thing. And... Yeah, no, some some great songs on those. The, the on song, those cassettes. the song, yeah, the song that like Eric Carmen was 
really taken by was the song the song that I wrote called Tracy Hyde. Yes, which you then went and redid. Well, that was really weird because, you know, <laughs> the, the same Japanese label, after we put out the first record, they just came to us and said, okay, second album, covers album. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yes. We were like, oh, well, that wasn't really what we were planning to, but if you're offering the budget for it, and that's what you really think is going to... And now, you know, looking back, I really, I completely understand why, because in Japan, it's really important that they're very, if you if you, you probably know already, they're very niche-oriented, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's really important to them what really gets people going on an artist is just kind of understanding their backgrounds and what they're influenced by and all that. It just helps them really get into the music and when they understand it, you know, there's something about their culture that's, that's, that's cool in that way because that's the way I got into music. I hear, that's how I got into the Beach Boys. I hear a song on the radio, who's that? You know, and then you go and you try to just find out like, Oh, wow, on the label, there's this B. Wilson on everything. He must be <laughs> This is before the internet, before... I mean, I had to go to a library to find out who, you know, who were even in the Beach Boys, because yep. how, how, how is an 11-year-old boy in the mid-70s supposed to find that kind of information out? You know what I mean? It's like you go to the library. Yeah, that actually makes a good segue to something I wanted to ask you, because I've gone and uh, read up something that you bought a copy as, I don't know, 10 or 11-year-old of Endless Summer, or you got it out of the library, don't know, and the local kids beat you up for owning a copy of Endless Summer. I mean, I knew that the the Beach Boys, as a popular entity, were certainly... You know, not at their highest peak at that at that period. Although, or, well, I, I understand Endless Summer did a lot of good business on you know as part of a nostalgic thing because it was only yeah. early material. But wow, what were the other kids in your neighbourhood listening to uh, that they felt that they wanted to beat you up for having a copy of uh, Endless but, Summer? You know, I mean, at the time, what was you know what the you know the coolest thing eleven, twelve-year-old boys could be into are the heavier acts of the time, like uh, of the day, like you know, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, uh, the Rolling Stones. You know, you know that stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, the rites of passage kind of boy stuff. <laughs> you know, I was this sort of you know, you <laughs> sort of this unusual kid who. A got along with girls because I had sisters. Yes, you know, and they did. None of them had sisters, so you know the opposite sex was totally off limits. And they'd see <laughs> me like talking to girls, and you know, again, boys, young boys, as they do, they, they'll make, they'll call you names, and yeah. they're lo- looking for every, any little thing that makes you uncool, or, or I should say, not like sissies. You know, I don't yeah, know if you sure. have that expression here. So. Uh, and then when they found out that I I listened to the Beach Boys and really loved it, loved the music, that was just another thing. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, I look back, and at the time it was pretty traumatic, but, you know, I look back and I see it as, you know, sort of toughening yeah, up. gave that great grounding. I mean, you know, here you are all these years later and, you know, you're playing, I mean. Exactly. I mean, doing I, exactly I, what you want. Yeah. I mean, I see it as, as I, as I, as I got older and you know, you go through life and you meet with people and a lot of people still don't 
there's still people like searching for their identity, you know. And I and I when I when I see that and they're unhappy in their lives and things like that, I just I that's when I become so grateful of the fact that at age twelve, you know, un, unbeknownst to me at the time, but I was really sure of what I liked. There was no amount of physical pain that was going to convince me that the that the Beach Boys music wasn't any good, mm. if you know what I mean. Like I kept listening to it and 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 just seeking it out, and Pet Sounds, and you know, just more stuff. It was it was that brought me that much. It moved me that much. Yes. So you know, and, and when I look again, when I look back at my life, I just think, wow, that had that was such a, an anchor for who I am. You know, to 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 say, well, I like this, and nobody's going to tell me that this is not what it is and 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 I just went from there all my definitely music decisions and things I you know the things I like my like taste being taste mm. I knew I I became very much in touch with what what I liked and that's led to as you're saying I I, I think it does it well look I may, I just told you the story about meeting Nick for the first time yes you know? and that is kind of the the starting point of that and and I'll tell you then then I like a year later I met Proben also through a mutual friend of Nick's and Proben Gregory who's in the band he was the auxiliary wonderments member he was never like a like a formal member but he was he was in very di a lot of different bands floating around but he was sort of our auxiliary guy mm. and so, but when it came time to, uh, which is probably a whole other story here to how we, we got hooked up with Brian, but he's another person. I met Nick in 83. The next year I'd heard about what I, what I, well, if you really want to know the story, I had, I was such a Beach Boys nerd <laughs> that I, I made, I made, I did handmade silk screen shirts of the album, the Smile album cover. Wow. If, I think that if I had if I if I hadn't gone into music, I'd probably do something in the design world, whether either graphic design or something in the visual graphics world. And I think I, I, I yeah I had picked up a, a silk screen kit at the time that you can just sort of do your own. And I did uh, the, the the Smile album cover, and I thought, well, well, this is so underground. I thought, wow, this is this will be cool. <laughs> so I I made a shirt. Uh, Nick got a shirt. And then a friend of my, a friend of ours said, "Oh wow, we know a, I know a guy who would just absolutely die if he saw that shirt, you know." And he's a huge Beach Boys fan, and blah 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 blah. So about a month after that, that same friend said, "Hey, you know, remember that guy I told you who's really in the, who really dig that that smile shirt? He's playing. He's playing an outdoor festival. If you want to go check it out," I said, "Okay, sure." I brought, I just made an, a spare one, an extra shirt, and I brought it, and, and there I met Proben. Uh -huh. I handed him the shirt, and that was the first time. So it's, it's actually really, really, I mean, when I'm up on stage with, on this, on a Brian Wilson uh, tour or on a, during a show, I can look over and I can see, yeah, it's one thing to have the man himself right there. You know, we're playing God Only Knows, and it's just, oh, my God, he's the guy, and he's right. right and we're doing this music, but it's an extra thing for me to look past Brian and see my mates, you know, to see Nick and Proven, guys that, you know, our friendship is based on our mutual love for Brian. So 
it, it, it can get pretty heavy, you know, if I think about it too much. And and it, it's it's just the, it's just wonderful how the music has brought people together. feel like some sort of affinity so the 90s with any of the other bands that were I mean I don't know whether you care for the label or not but there was something what has been called the the, you know, the power pop movement so I mean while while there were the the, the grunge thing going on out of uh, Seattle but mm-hmm. it seems like when you when you look back at the, you know, great bands like Jellyfish and mm-hmm. uh, Matthew Sweet and uh, mm-hmm. Jason Faulkner's own solo stuff and plus a ton of other bands which sort of never got their level of fame. Mm-hmm. But there seemed to be like there was something of a power pop movement, you know, taking things with you know, a 60s melodic flavour and, and great harmonies and great catchy melodies, but with great guitar parts as well. Did you ever sort of have anything to do with any of those guys did you feel an affinity oh we're part of this movement or were you independent of that just sort of doing your thing well uh, yeah i mean jellyfish is definitely one of the best bands that come out of the 90s absolutely uh and there are a couple of those guys are really good friends of mine at this point and as is as as is matthew sweet maybe to continue on with this with where i was uh talking about the our band, my band, is a is when it started off. We, I mean, we once we got our drummer, we were, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we wanted to play, and we were, we would rent out this one studio, it was a, sort of a flea bag place, but you know, it was a place that had an to, to to rehearse and whatever. But then one day, a friend of ours said, "Hey, there's this bar." that has a stage and they have an entertainment license and they're looking, you know, they're open to anybody performing there on Sunday nights. So we, we started playing there. It was, Hey, it was a free rehearsal for us. Sure. But, but yeah, we just started playing there doing our own thing. And then again, word got around. And then before you know, we had like a bunch of music pop geeks (laughs) filling up the place. And, and then we were then invited to perform at, you know, big proper clubs. And that's when we kind of got integrated with a bunch of other, you know, we met a bunch of bands in LA at the time, mid, mid nineties. And we were all very supportive of one another, but we, we were different. Mm. Um, And, and I would say that after a couple of years, it it did feel like there was something going on in the, in, in in the mid nineties with these bunch of, bands that were into melody and uh, just, just interesting yeah bringing the guitar element back and I, I I hesitated to to label it anything at the time because I'm I don't know I I'm one of those that you know as soon as you call it something <laughs> yeah not, no I understand it's not that thing anymore but there were some festivals uh, that celebrated that sort of LA movement at the time that I think even like artists like Beck came out of that, the Silver Lake thing. And yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely in touch with all the 
all those uh, kind of bands at the time. I, although I, I felt as much as we love power pop, I mean, some of my favorite bands are, well, look, the Raspberries were, are considered one of the blueprints for, for power pop, for the definition sure. of power pop. And here's Eric Carmen knocking at our door, you know. No, we did, we, I certainly recognize that as something that's, uh, and, and we, we celebrated that as well, but we just, we like to think there was a lot of other elements to music that <laughs> yeah, no, sure. that were there too. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm not really sure what. Oh no, no, look, more or less. I just sort of you know, I, I gather from what you're saying. So there was an LA movement, and yeah. uh, you you did know some of these guys, and you know, I'm I'm sure ideas Absolutely. bounced. Absolutely, and still, I mean, we all talk about those days, of course, <laughs> like. Oh man, remember remember when we were kids? And I mean, it was God to think that the '90s were that long ago. It's just incredible. We didn't so much do the the grunge thing as much as we did the. Uh, I, I I liked I liked a lot of uh, what they called maybe the shoegazer music at the time. Right, right. Uh, the dream pop stuff at the time. I liked a lot of that. But you know, again, we just did our thing. We just mm. did what we did and. If other bands dug it or found simpatico in it, then that's cool too. Well, when we sort of tend to think about 60s style, and that's, oh, I hate maybe using that expression because the 60s was so yeah. diverse yeah. musically, yeah. but one artist who maybe a lot of rock or pop music fans don't tend to think of, but you guys definitely do, would be Burt Bacharach. When, uh, when you're listening to, um, Songs like, uh, you know, My Identity. Certainly has something of you know, a, l a little bit uh, Herb Alper, a little bit Bacharach, and yeah. I, something I read was that uh, when you guys wanted to do a show focusing more on that sort of thing, you changed your name to the After Dinner Mint. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. What, what, tell, a... tell us about where, where does Bert Bacharach and you know that sort of thing you know sit in your musical affection? Well, Bert, uh, his writing style is definitely more of a jazz, easy listening, kind of loungy kind of music, which we we really embrace that whole culture, that kind of, uh, you know, like, well, what we call a space age bachelor pad music, you know, <laughs> the, the sort of astro lounge kind of music that like tiki, you know, the whole tiki culture that happened in the 50s and post-war, uh, post-war, post you know. Yep. Uh, and we were fascinated by all that. And, and what it... And, and the way it, it integrated the, the jazzy stuff with pop. And then, of course, even better when it <laughs> had that kind of weird, I, I, I kind of revel in the awkwardness of certain genres clashing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you sure. know, when all that stuff clashed with the Beatles, you know, how are we going to make this sound more 60s and, and groovy and yet have the jazzy stuff elements still there, you know? And I, and I think Bert was a really good, you know, person to, to help 
sort of bridge that gap. He was just one of those guys. You know? And I've look, I've got this um, really fantastic three CD anthology of uh, songs that he wrote for you know a whole bunch of people. I mean. I, I confess that there's some songs on it that don't really do it for me, but sure. when I sort of go through the list of about 80 or 90 songs, and I'm thinking, well, at least 50 of these songs are really, really good. I've got to confess, up until however many years ago, I never considered myself a Bacharach fan, and then just yeah. looking at this compilation, I thought, oh, wow, you know, I do like him after yeah. all. There's, there's so many fantastic songs. And, you know, hell, that um, uh, was in the early 2000s or whenever it was when um, Grace of My Heart came out yeah. and he wrote God Give Me Strength yeah. with, uh, with Elvis Costello. And you thought, my God, the man's a genius. <laughs> well, he, he definitely had a, a sound. Um, he, he had a very, very recognizable chord changes and yep. like melodic it, it, you know you you have to love those kind of visionaries who just kind of they're so bold that they just do things in spite of what's cool or what's happening at the time and they they just cut their own path you know and and that's he certainly did that to the point where you know enough of his enough of it caught on and and then he had hits and then people just go wow that's a back rack thing yep. oh right there that 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 Little melody, that melodic t- turn right there—that's a—that's a back rack thing. Oh, he, he can just, definitely pick it, pick it up in certain things. I know there's a, a Ben Folds song called "Don't Change Your Plans," and there's a trumpet solo in it, and I think. Oh, that sounds like Bert Bacharach would have written it. And I heard an interview with Ben, and boom, I was right. He actually said, "Oh yeah, we're influenced by Bacharach." So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, lots of. I don't know if you, you know, if you, if you play. An instrument. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, uh, as the joke goes, I'm not a musician, I'm a drummer. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) You know, Backrack, he utilizes a lot of major seventh chords and things, you know, just things that sound more, uh, if I'm going to think visually, just very pastel sounding. I don't know. It's, it's, it's all taste. It's all subjective. But we had a lot of fun doing that kind of stuff just to kind of play. A lot of, uh, you know, as, as the after dinner mints, it started off again in that little bar that we used to play in. Sure. We'd have to do, we'd get two sets, right? So we'd play a set of our own stuff and then, or we'd start off with a set of like covers and, you know, we'd, we'll play television themes, our favorite, you know, Streets of San Francisco, <laughs> the theme of the Streets of San Francisco and, you know, th- things like that that we just really love. And then we play, we take an intermission, then we do our own stuff. But people still really liked hearing all that other other stuff so we would book shows as the afternoon show show where people would expect us to have guest singers come up and it was fun you know we 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 would just do crazy crazy stuff i I think i think uh, not that this is sort of an after dinner sort of thing but what looks like in the spirit of people coming up and singing with you i I, there's uh, like some footage of you guys on youtube with probably, I'm not. I'm guessing that the girls were out of the audience doing the theme from Xanadu.
like one of those bar shows that yeah that was exactly what i'm talking about that was so long ago but yeah the gal singing lead is lisa michaels ah, okay the girl that had that christmas album that we did yeah. but yeah we there was we did xanadu with that same girl i may have posted it myself on facebook but when Scylla black passed away yeah uh i was i was looking for the song that you know we want i knew that we had once performed the song that Paul McCartney wrote for her, Step Inside Love. So yes. looking for that, and I found it, and so I posted that. But, yeah, I mean, that, those are the kind of I, – I, I don't know that we ever did anything just, you know, just to do stuff, just to be obscure for obscure's sake. I, 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 I just – we just were really celebrating the things we really loved, you yeah, know. Sure. Um, and it wasn't – I would hope to think that – everything we ever did an ounce of sincerity to it yes. i mean we we had fun and there were some some things were tongue-in-cheek sure but at at the core of it was there was no denying that we were just so excited about capturing those to go back to the question you were saying earlier like you, you were pointing out like you could hear our influences and you know in our songs and stuff but I think that comes from not so much saying, yeah, we're going to, this is where we're going to do a who thing, and this is where we're going to do a zombies thing, and this is where we're going to do a left bank thing. I think more than that is just it, their feelings, you know, their feelings that we loved when hearing songs by certain artists that we thought, gosh, you know, if we can capture that feeling mm. in this moment of this song or, or in, in the song overall, then it would be most satisfying to us, you know, and that's that's kind of kind of what we so do. do you, so, do you go in with that sort of um, thinking when you're composing a song, or more when the band was was sitting around like uh, and arranging, saying, "Oh, hey, if uh, we use, I don't know, if we, if we have a, a harpsichord sound yeah. here, then we're going to get something sounding like uh, like a monkey's song, or or, yeah. or, 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 or that." Once again, I'm making it sound like it's a conscious decision when you're saying yeah. it's not so much like that. But do you ever sort of come up with that thinking when composing, or more when you're actually sort of fleshing it out? in the studio it's both you know it depends on the song i mean some songs i mean the way we write is very independent too the very rarely do nick and i write together or mikey and i write together we all kind of have our own thing and then we bring it to the table and we say hey here's a song i have this idea for it and this is the feeling i i have and then again we're lucky and this is why i'm i'm so happy that nick and i were friends for such a long time first sure. before we had a band it's kind of like it's kind of like a relationship with somebody you're glad you lived together for a yeah. long time before you got married yeah, but it's yeah. that kind of thing where i feel bad where for 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 you know people who have to work together where you have to you know you have to spend a long time trying to even telegraph try to you know, try to explain the thing you're going for in in our case i don't have to with nick i'll just say something like yeah i was thinking of this and he'll go yeah and it'll be like this and yeah exactly and you know it, it's so that's just that's such a luxury to to have that and then yeah and then it goes from there uh, i think that when we both write on our own we have basic idea of the feeling that we were trying to go for but we're kind of open mm -hmm. to enhancing that or even making it a, a a new and unique hybrid of some sorts as long as it as long as it feels right yeah can i ask you about a couple of um other projects that you sort of got involved with so i think it might have been for the 40th anniversary 
Yeah, it would have been the 40th anniversary of uh, the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle. They uh, the the original lineup mm-hmm. uh, got back together. I think minus Paul because he unfortunately passed away a few years yeah. before. But they they did uh, some concerts together in um, in England. Yeah. To celebrate, they played that album from start to finish as well as you know some other zombie stuff with a touring band lineup and I'm. Putting on the, you know, I went and bought the DVD of the concert, and lo and behold, who should I see but Darian <laughs> Sahanaja playing? So I'd dearly love to know, how did you happen to get involved with, with playing with the zombies? I mean, it makes a hundred percent sense to me that you would, but yeah. uh, did did Rod Argent know of uh, of the Wonderments, or, or how did that come to be? I knew You know, uh, ironically, the first... He, of course, he knew about the Brian Wilson band. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't aware of that. My real connection was with Chris White. Okay. And Chris had come to several Brian Wilson concerts. When we were in England, he came to the Pet Sounds uh, tour, and then later the Smile tour. And we just we just became you know pretty good friends. I think at one point, uh, you know, well when I first met him, of course, it was the worship worship bow bow. Oh my God, the guy that wrote most you know most of the songs off of one of my favorite albums of all time, and yes. you know, and he's modest and and humble and you know, but of course he he enjoyed that. And then we just kind of hit it off. And uh, at one point, I think I may have asked him, is there would there ever be a chance that you guys would ever or that the band would ever want to play Odyssey and Oracle from start to finish. And I think at the time, Rod was not really keen on it because he just wasn't seeing the point, you know, in the early, especially in the whenever it was, 12 years ago. And I think slowly over time, he started to get the message from from feelers out there from different bands citing it as one of his favorite, their favorites. And, you know, it just it, it became very, very apparent to him that, hey, maybe we did. Maybe it is something special. Because you have to understand, those guys, I mean, to this day, they'll say, in their wildest dreams, would they ever have thought that they'd be having playing this album 50 years later? Mm-hmm. Because they, at the time, you know, I, I don't know if you know their history, but, you know, they, they yes. pretty much hung it up. Yeah, because, yeah, that's right. It was, it was only time of the season that yeah. became the hit like a year or so after the album had been released. And they, and they split up. They broke up, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was one of those records where they hadn't had a hit in several years, and and you know, the guys were just kind of like, well, maybe it's time to time to you know close the chapter on this, and I'll go back to my day job and this and that. And, and it was only Rod and Chris who thought, well, we have all these great songs, and yes, it's unfinished, but you know, we're gonna labels not funding anymore, so we're gonna finish this with our own money. And they finished it, and then. They said, okay, we'll finish it, and then we'll move on to, to start our new project, which would have been Argent. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that all the guys are just still, to this day, astonished and kind of surprised that it's, it's, it's gone on to be what, you know, what it has. Because they, 
from their point of view, it was like they were flying off the seat of their pants to just finish the thing, you know, which is why, surprisingly, ironically, the, they, they utilized the Mellotron because they would have wanted to use real strings, but they didn't have it in the budget. So uh-huh. they, oh, well, here's John Lennon's Mellotron sitting at Abbey Road. I'll just use that. <laughs> so, so all those things were just done quickly and just sort of serendipitously. And it, it ends up that those are the elements that people really, really find meaningful in the whole feeling of that album. Anyway, so so just now that I've given you that background, I, I was in touch with Chris, and he told me at the time that eh, he didn't think Rod was all that interested. But over time, he started to warm up to the idea. And then I got an email from Chris, because <laughs> he knew that I would be one of the first people he wanted to tell. But looks like Rod is really warmed up to it and it's it's it might happen. And I just fired back and I said, "Well, if it happens, I'm boarding that I I'm going to book my flight and I'm out there just just to see it, you know, just to watch it." And then in a in a postscript I just sort of said, "And, you know, just <laughs> in, a, in a cheeky way, in a very cheeky way, I just sort of said, and if he needs an extra hand on those extra Velotron parts, uh, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, just, I just thought it was funny. And then about two days later, I'm getting a phone call from Rod. Oh, my God. And basically saying, so Chris told me that you'd be, are you, are you serious? We, we could pay you and we would fly you. And I'm like, <laughs> Is this happening? Is this really happening? And then that's how that happened. I came out and I remember those early rehearsals. It was winter time and it was, I just remember being really cold and, you know, meeting these guys in this rehearsal place and, you know, it was all so surreal. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think one, at at one point, Rod was running over some background vocals for one of the songs. I can't remember which one it was exactly, but you know, it was clearly that he was questioning whether it was the the right part. They were the right parts. And I wasn't going to say anything, (laughs) but, but it, I, you know, it was, there was definitely some discrepancy there. And then he, he he did one of those, I think it sounds okay. And then then we moved on. Then we went back to it again and they went over it. He just, he really looked, he looked up and he had that really quizzical look and doubtful look. And he says, I just, I'm not sure about that. I wonder if those are the right parts. And then, of course, I raised my hand slowly. <laughs> and then I went over to the piano and I, I think that this is the harmonies do this, this and this. And he, and he was, he was very open to it. I was very, very conscious of not, you know, stepping over any boundaries. But since he was quite, I could see he was struggling with it. And that's why I, I volunteered. And, and then he says, well, Darian thinks it's this part. And he had he had the singers sing it. And then we ran it, and it sounded right. And <laughs> so from, from there on out, they I think they, they even got a kick out of the fact that this kid came along and knows the music better than they do, you know. Wow. And he, he ends up actually saying, saying, saying as much on stage sometimes, which much to my embarrassment. But... Uh, uh, of course, I mean they they merely played it to begin with. You'd listen to it probably exactly. a thousand times. Exactly, and that's yeah, that's why yeah, it's exactly what I was saying earlier. They just it was done really fast, and 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 oh, I'll just add this, and you know, let's sing these harmonies. That'll work, you know, at the at the time. But yeah, little do they know that, or little do they did they really understand that people 
you know, I don't know, millions of people probably around the world have just gotten so, are so moved by that music and it's, they wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> it's a complete revelation. When I, when I first heard it, I was pointing it to absolutely everyone I knew and I was, I was saying, listen, you love Pet Sounds? Right, get this album. Yeah. This, this to me is, it's equal. Uh, yeah. the, you know, the harmonies, the, the chord structures, yeah. everything about it. it it's got melancholy that's it's got, it thank, it's got... and thank you for saying that word because i've heard a lot of people say oh this is the pet sounds of, this is you know sergeant pepper whatever but the thing about pet sounds is that it's beautifully sad yes and and there are not many albums that are that that are musically crafted you know e equally musically crafted and and odyssey is is one of them you just it's just got this melancholy, like you said, a melancholy, but the music, the quality of, of uh, the music craft on it is top notch on that record. I've, I've got to say that, that in a funny sort of way that my favorite song on the album is the one that sticks out like it almost doesn't belong. And that's uh, Chris's uh, Butcher's song. Butcher's Tale, yeah. The, uh, the Butcher's Tale. I mean, it, it so obviously doesn't fit in yeah. with what the rest of the album is doing and yeah. yet take it away I, I can't imagine I can't imagine it he just he, he's he really struck something there it was a political song in an yeah. album that was really more about human emotion and human sadness or of course it might be some there was some positivity on you know some of the songs as well but just oh the depth of it yeah there's so much depth there's that's the thing it's that I think people recognize when musicians, uh, songwriters, singers are being brave and doing something really pushing their creative, you know, their boundaries. And, and that's, you know, the people, at least I know who love that record, just love it for all those sa the same reasons why they love Pet Sounds, which is, yeah, there's a lot of the traditional elements there, but they were courageous enough to, to try new things and just, Mm -hmm. stretch out a little and you know and those like you like right here there's another example you're you're saying that butcher's tale is your favorite that's definitely out there you know but yeah so that's how the that zombies that tour uh, happened and and then they asked again last october for me to they, they i remember i remember at the time that those shows in england were so cool and I, you know, once somebody saying, wow, it would be amazing if they, they, this can be taken to the States. And of course, everybody agreed, but they also knew that it was a stretch to try to do that, you know, budget wise and all that. But they managed to, to do it. Can you please do me a favor? Now that I've got an in, uh, can you please ask Rod and Colin and the guys? come to australia they've never been here i've, I've gone and put that. countless requests on the facebook page and it gets dutifully ignored a world tour means to them the northern hemisphere we yeah. want them in australia yeah well you know i'm finding that as physically res i'm i'm always i'm amazed uh, at how much colin and and rod work you know considering their ages and things like that but at the same time they get locked, you know, they, like all of us, we, we get comfortable in doing things that are, that are s more safe. You know, they, they we, we have our, we have our creature comforts and, 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 and actually <laughs> he, he was, 
he was <laughs> as if he didn't embarrass me enough during the the first tour of talking about how you know pointing out how I knew the music better than they did. <laughs> he he did one better. He was doing one better on this last October tour of the states, which really he was saying to the audience that when this when the U.S. tour was proposed. His only requirement was that I be involved, and that if I if I weren't available, he wasn't going to do it. Now, to me, that's absolutely absurd because all I do is play the mellotron parts. You know, they could, <laughs> they could still they can anybody play the mellotron parts, and he, they could still play the album. But what that tells me is that well, I'm flattered, of course, that they they think that highly of me, or that he thinks that highly of me. But I, I'm, it also tells me that. You know, you get to an age, and you just really, really want those things that comfort you. You know, you want you want the so. If anything, at the at, at the you know, at the very least, I'm this comforting thing for Rod that basically tells him, okay, I can feel secure in knowing that things are gonna be okay if all the pieces are in place. That that kind of thing, you know. But yeah, he would say that on stage when he introduced me and I'm looking at the audience and all I have to go is ah, you know what? Why are you putting that on me? So yeah, we did secretly that. inside you were going, Yes Surely. No, no not <laughs> believe believe it or not, that's that really that kind of stuff I just I don't I'm I'm one of those types that don't that I don't like when things are or you know, there's fuss. There's a fuss made over me. I, I actually feel very uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. So they they dipped their foot in the American touring waters for the thing, and it was went really well. Next year is the actual is the actual fiftieth anniversary. Wow. Of it, and so I don't know. They they they, they were there was talk about possibly doing it and doing it on a bigger scale. So yes, if it comes over to this part of the world. Um, yeah, you know how <laughs> things go, though. It's 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 all it's really about budgets and and booking agents and you know things like that. Like we're over here right now. I think it was because we were initially invited by the Blues Fest people. Yeah. You know? And then and then you know and that's how it happens. You get invited to do one thing. You're like, as long as we're all the way out there, then let's tack on a, some other shows and. Yeah. Um, so it all that all worked out. So I'm I'm hoping that yeah maybe that that could happen for the zombies in that way. You know? I just I know friends of mine over here that live over here. In fact, one of my my act, absolute best friend in Australia is a an artist named Ben Mason. I think he lives in your town. He's okay. in he's in Melbourne. He used to have a band called the Small Goods, and they're anyway. I I first met Ben because somebody on the internet <laughs> sent me a link and said, hey, there's this guy who is re-recording the Odyssey and Oracle album all by himself. Wow. And I thought, huh. And I've heard people, I've heard covers, you know, of, of that music. And, and, you know, a lot of them are good. But this was, again, I heard in his takes on these, he was getting it. He was getting that sort of beautiful sadness. He, he was, you know, capturing that. And so I sent an email to him and actually, you know, before I actually sent an email to him, I forwarded the link to Chris White. <laughs> oh, wow. And Chris was really, really flattered and especially for his take of Butcher's Tale. And I think Chris's response was, wow, this is, I like it better than mine because he's singing in tune. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I so I sent, sent that back to Ben and Ben was, of course, you know, blown away by all that. But, uh, Ben actually, Ben and his wife flew out to the states to see the the concerts and on the East Coast, and 
And he he and all of his musical community friends are all telling me that's when I first learned that the zombies had never been here. And I was I was surprised. Yeah. And and they were all suggesting that that it would do very well. Like if they did the Odyssey an Oracle tour here would probably do very well. I mean, in the same way that the Pet Sounds tour is probably doing. Like, they would have to be invited by maybe uh, one of these festival bookers and then... I'm going to... I'll send something to uh, Blues Fest. Maybe get a petition up. (laughs) I think that's that's probably the way. Ben had a friend who worked for the other... There's another festival. This person was somebody that, you know, I could connect, hook them up to as well. I guess it's whoever would would have a, a, a decent offer. You know? mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's what it that's what it comes down to. I mean, you guys are so far away from us. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing in some respect. Yeah, no, it, it's great. We love coming down here. It, it really is. I mean, it was hard enough for the zombies to wrap their heads around doing this, the West Coast, you know, yeah, sure. the United States, or just the United States at all, let alone the West Coast. So the fact that they were able to do that and and it was as successful as it was. I, I think they might try to do it a little bit bigger and better next year, which would be cool. Mm. One other project I want to ask that you had an association with, I believe that you and um, and Nick produced uh, some music for a, a Los Angeles band called Baby Lemonade. Yeah. Who, they went on to be Arthur Lee's band for yeah. a time. And, and I've seen some footage they did Forever Changes. start to finish now did you ever did you just produce baby lemonade or did you actually get to play with them while they were doing forever changes with with uh, arthur no i didn't get to actually play with them but they were one of those la bands at the time right. that were in that movement you know it was it was them wonderments there was a band called uh, <laughs> and i say this because their lead singer was afro-american but they were called the Negro Problem. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I've seen that. I've seen that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called TNP, and, and and several other bands that were just really, you know, we were all the sounds of each band were 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 different. We didn't sound like one another, but we were very supportive of one another. And it was just this. I liked calling it kind of like a an intelligentsia, like a musical musical intelligentsia. Sure. But yeah, we we became really good friends with the Baby Lemonade guys, and I think we were even on the same label in the states at one point. Right. Uh, called right. called Big Deal, or we bought, or we got licensing deals at least from the from these labels. We did, and the Baby Lemonade actually got a budget for an album, and and they thought it would be really cool if Nick and I produced the record since we are label mates. And, and, that, and that album turned out really good, and I have really fond memories of doing it. Arthur Lee actually made it out here. I I'm, I'm, didn't get to the gig, but I'm presuming that Baby Lemonade was his backup yes. band for the Australian tour. Yes, they were. The, interestingly enough, 
when they did Forever Changes in England, that's where I first saw that they were using these this group of kids from Sweden as their string and horn section. And I, and I thought they looked so cool. And, and I'd heard such great things about them that when it came time for Brian, for us to do the Smile album. Yes. And we were, since we were debuting it in London, I thought, well, you know, so I asked the, the Baby Lemonade guys, like, what, you know, what do you think? And they're like, oh, yeah, here's, here's the contact, you know, go for it. So I contacted the cellist uh, player, Anna, and again, it was just one of these, oh, my God, we get, you know, just to this day, she's like one of my, still one of my dearest friends. We just got, we just, just, bam, we were we're laughing and 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 you know reading each other's minds and you know that kind of thing and it was so wonderful and she got the group together and they were all really excited and they came out and they became part of the the first run of shows the debut of of smile mm-hmm. and it went so well that we we brought them to the states so all these young kids were just so excited to you know see the world and and then when it came to record the album, they were part of the recording of the album. So it just became this beautiful thing. But that all, none of that connection would have been, would have happened if, if I hadn't seen them perform with, with Baby with the love for the love uh, uh, forever changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in London. So, so all these things are kind of connected, you know. It's, sure. I want to come back to a few more um, wonderment specific sort of things. When would it have been? Maybe the late 90s, I'm guessing, when Austin Powers... This, you knew this question had to be coming. Uh, uh, when Austin Powers came out, and um, so I understand, so Mike Myers contacted you after hearing your version of uh, the Henry Mancini composed theme for The Party. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what was that experience like? You know, did Mike say, look, I want you to write a theme that's like this, or it has to have the word shag in it somewhere? No. Um, he just yeah. say, write, write us a song. that Mike picked up this Henry Mancini tribute compilation that we were on and was really, really dug our take of the party. Of course, it helped that he loved that film, as, as did we, which is why we covered it in the first place. But again, it was part of that whole lounge thing that we, we talked about earlier. It's just that it, it was something that we would have done as the after dinner mints, you know? Yep. Uh, so we, when, when, when we were invited to, to be on that compilation... We covered that and, you know, enjoyed recording it and indulging ourselves in all that, in that whole world. And then we get a call from Mike Myers and he says, hey, you know, I heard this track and I love it and I'm thinking this is sort of the the musical template I would love. I'm developing this character and trying to describe the character. And he sends us, he sent us an early script. I read through it and it was so up, you know, 
up our alley. <laughs> and so I, I, I mean, I real I remember sitting on the sofa with my little tiny miniature Casio keyboard and just singing, coming up with the with the riff, you know. And uh, <laughs> it, it sounds funny now, but at the time. I remember singing Austin Powers. He's the man, and I remember my girlfriend at the time going, "God, that's a that's a real awkward name to say to sing. It sounds a little awkward." And I said, "Really? Well, I don't know." And <laughs> sure enough, now everybody knows that name. It's because the movie was such a hit. But、uh, you know, it just seemed like hard to sing or something. I, I thought it was really fun and cool. But yeah, so I came up with a song. I demoed it. It was just a demo.、Right. Sent it in, sent it to Mike, and he loved it. Once again, we thought, well, okay, we'll go back and re-record it. And he was like, no, 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 I like it as is. <laughs>、uh, points for our、uh, our demo four-track demo skills, I suppose. You'd had many years with the test game, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it is one of those things where, in this day and age, you know, with the with the With the gear and the technology, the way it is, it's almost like you really do want to try to present something as fully realized, so that you don't have to explain. Yeah, in the old days, it was cool to go in with a piano and go, "Okay, here it is, and it's going to do this, and this is going to do that." But these days, it's good and bad, I suppose, that that people expect more. You know, they want they want to hear, they want to be, and especially with the competition, you know, you want to be able to establish your idea right off the bat, and and hopefully make it stick. And with we got lucky, and he really dug it, because basically he told us how much he loved our take on the on the Mancini song. So I thought, well, if that's what he wants, I could write a song that has that feel. And I had read the script, and there were a lot of. Key points in it, <laughs> shag being one. Yes, yes, of course. Yes, shag rhymes with jag. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I love that. Like your closing chord on that song, it almost sounds to me like it's a、uh, a nod towards the James Bond theme. Yeah, 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 obviously, in the same way the movie had lots of nods to James Bond. Right, right. So、uh, I mean, it was definitely a, a you know. In that case, it was a. In the case of Austin Powers, the whole thing is a send up. You know, it's a. It's a It's a pastiche, anyway. So、um, I wasn't trying to do anything deeply artistic with it, <laughs> but it was—it was certainly fun.、Uh, art, art is overrated. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's great because I meet people over the years that since the movie was so popular, people will quote it and all the quotes and stuff, and then. And then some people I'll meet and they'll go, they'll, they'll do the ending, you know, with Doctor Evil, and then they'll go Austin Powers, and I'll go, Wow, you like that song? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and I guess yeah, I wrote it. <laughs> like what? <laughs> that's that's a nice little benefit. <laughs> yeah. You are the one. You shine down from the stars. Out of this world, not just be good. To step inside your radiating light. Date、uh, Wonder Mint's album is 
entitled Mind If We Make Love To You. Is, yeah. is that inspired at all by uh, your time doing Austin Powers? I mean, it, it sort of almost, apart from that you're not saying, Mind If We Shag You, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that, was that a nod to that or just to the I, whole lounge thing? Yeah, it was kind of more of the, the whole lounge thing. It's more of that... Because the album, we knew we were consciously sort of embracing a, 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 a softer, more gentle side of ourselves, you know, of our musically. And, and to be honest, it was, to be serious for a minute, we, we'd been touring with Brian for a while, and the last studio album we had done, Bali, was at the height of, we were, we were almost trying, you know, almost too clever for our own good, <laughs> you know, just all these all of these double entendres and that album and I'm, I'm glad you really like it but that album was just a bunch of that, that was the most that project when I think about making it we were basically mad scientists you know just so, you, you're locked, talking about Bali now we'll Bali, we'll like, yeah, okay. locked, yeah. so locked ourselves in the studio and just we're going crazy with sounds and it was the first time we had Pro Tools and, and so we were trying, trying just experimenting with all kinds of possibilities but and so that felt that album felt very excessive after a while. And then we went on. Then we, then we toured with Brian, and there was just something about being about around Brian for a while, where you know he was just he didn't have to pretend to be anything but who he is, and just that absolute pure sincerity in a childlike manner, just kind of hearkening back to. Uh, a simpler time or all those things combined and so uh, the music when we started writing and I, I remember thinking wow you know we don't have time we're all so tired from touring and how are we ever gonna you know can we even be a band anymore but we somehow pieced that together uh, in between tours that album and we just we just didn't want to it, it needed to be really more organic and, and gentle and, and in, so, in, in a way, I've sort of been thinking from a production perspective, from a sound perspective, it sounds more like an album, like a collection, like one cohesive, one yeah. cohesive work. And Bali, as I said, is brilliant. I'm crazy about the album, but it, it does sound like we'll do a bit of this, we'll do a bit of that, and maybe yeah. we'll have the production more in alignment with the influence. But mind if we make love to you, does sound production-wise like one. Yeah. work that was designed from the outset to sound like one work as opposed to lots yeah. of little things and I don't say one's better than the other but just different you know? diff- yeah, yeah. I, I would hope so I mean I, that's what I would want from any artist that I like I mean I'd like yeah maybe maybe if, if an album came out closely after the other and they're still riding a, the high of something I, I, I would probably want that album to kind of continue on with, with, with what I loved about you know I'm thinking about acts like ELO or Queen or you know like when they came out with when they were big the, the album that followed up was just the same stuff and better and bigger and better and that was cool but there was a I want to say a four three or four year gap between Bali and my and and you know I wouldn't I would think that four years goes by and if the band if a band sounds exactly like you know they're just picking up where they left off I I, I would be a little disappointed but so, especially in your case where you already had that wealth of time in Brian's band and you've said it was almost you know like being in a university, yeah. uh, the, the uh, university of Brian Wilson and you'd yeah. learned so much from... Yes, and it was really about like, look, 
you know, don't try so hard to be anything. Just be more in touch with that sincere side of you. And so with the lyrically, I, I, I kind of, again, on Bali and, and songs earlier, earlier of my, like, lyrically, I was always trying to find really clever things, you know, mean double meanings and all sure, that sure. kind of stuff. And this, I just didn't feel like doing it, especially after being around, you know, being in the, in the world of Brian, you just wanted to go back to what was, what felt like, true you know and 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 so the lyrics are a lot more emotional maybe. yeah inter- yeah exactly and i think all of us were on that same page to a certain degree and, and, and that's how it i don't th- again i don't think we all said oh it sh- this album should sound like this it was just yeah. we all came to the table with you know more acoustic sounds and wanting to be a little more organic and have orchestral instruments like string sections and things like that it was just where we were at the thought i had was that mind if we make love to, whereas the other you know we sell like bali or you know the earlier albums uh had to me it, you know the song sort of had right i can spot the influence i can spot the influence whereas a mind if we make love to you it, it almost sounds a lot more subtle as almost as if um yeah well you've used the word organic so i mean like i i pick up like you know a little bit of solo Paul McCartney on a song like Another Way. She stares off at the corner and all the world is gray. She wakes up on the floor but it's just a Listen sounds like you know you maybe a sunflower era Beach Boys, but in a far more subtle way than you might have approached similar sort of material on an earlier record. It's more like what well, we've learnt all this stuff. This is now in our DNA. This is if it comes out like that, that's just because that's who who we are, rather than consciously sort of deciding that you want yeah. to have that sort of sound. Oh, great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now, I mean, I mean, if anything, I think we were. If I have to look back at that record, I'll go, "Oh, that's." If we were channeling any type of genre or style, that album, to me, now that I listen, when I listen to all of it down, it sounds like more of a. It sounds like a modern take of like Bread or a band like that. You know, like Dave Gates or something like that. It's just the way it's very the melodies and the acoustic guitars. They're, they're it's not just folky, but it, it's it's got those elements, but it's got a lot of classical influences as well. Uh, so, with all the work that you're, you know, you've been doing with Brian over the years, and with you know helping out all these other wonderful acts, is there going to be anywhere in the near future a new Wonderman's album? Do you and do you and Nick and Mike actually have any uh, songs that you've been writing that you've sort of toyed with the idea maybe we should do something just for ourselves for a, for a change me personally not i've been so busy that's a thing unfortunately you you get older and you do this touring and you're doing we all sort of i think and, and mikey moved from california to florida so it was harder for us to be any kind of band at least actively yeah but um I think that if we just made the decision to say, hey, you know, you want to do this, we would. It's just, it's just, I've been so incredibly busy doing uh, my other 
job per se, which is scoring for television. You know? Okay. Yeah. In fact, it's sad for me to have to announce to a lot of the the touring destinations that for the rest of the year that I, I I'm not going to do a lot of them because I'd already committed to a television gig. So, which started off here in in Australia and Japan, and I was able to somehow work it out that I can do this. But there's not much. I'm not like, for example, I'm not going to be going to Europe. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Which is sad. But you know, there's. It's just I got to do the right thing. You know, I made a commitment, and that was wow. that. And this, we feel we feel very privileged that uh, that we did get to see you. I mean, I, I take it so um, uh, Nick and Mike and Probin will still be continuing. Yeah, they're, they're all flying. It's just it's just that I had helped develop this television show. I was part of the the, the process of it, and and it all came together last year. You know, and. Everything was finalized, contracts were signed, and the whole thing. And then this tour only was announced in the fall. You know that that, that it would that that they'd be doing it this year. I think they with Brian with someone like Brian, you just have to kind of you can't announce it too far ahead. Yeah, sure. You don't know, and so they it was in the fall that they decided that they'll do a, a Pet Sounds 50th. But yeah, I, I mean, I might be able to go out for certain short runs, but I. You know the the UK Europe run is quite long. It's like a month and a half, and I I, I don't think I I definitely can't do that. So. Is is Melinda on the tour with with Brian? Uh, no, not right now. She's not. Uh, she might come out to Europe and some of the some of the uh, domestic dates. But so yeah, that's uh, that's another reason why between you and me, why I'm not taking up a lot of interviews mm. about about the tour itself. Because I don't want to build it up and then say, by the way, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, sure, I understand. Look, I'm once again, I'm so thrilled that we've had this opportunity. We've been speaking for over an hour and a half, and I was sort of half thinking that you're going to say after half an hour, right, well, this has been great, but I've got to pack my suitcase tomorrow. So I'm so incredibly grateful. Uh, oh. I think I do have one final question that I have to ask, and that is, Pet Sounds and Smile aside, what is your favorite Beach Boys album? I'm guessing it's something Brother Records era, but I might be wrong. Uh, I'll say Sunflower. Sunflower. That's uh, a lot of amazing stuff on on that. I mean, actually, for that matter, I was has has um, have you ever done anything on a Brian tour that wasn't didn't have Brian's composition skills in it to some extent? Like for instance, um, you know, now that you have the amazing Blondie Chaplin on mm-hmm. tour with you and there was a small part of me that was hoping that you'd do something like leaving this town yeah. off holland uh with, you know which uh, i've got to say you know like hearing blondie and ricky fatar who lived in australia for many years was a yeah. big producer here uh but you know hearing them play that song on holland and even better on the beach boys live album it's always been a huge favorite of mine i was sort of thinking oh, i wonder whether whether they ever dig that out but have, have you ever done anything that's not been uh brian composition for on a on a Brian tour? Oh yeah, well we've done Forever, you know, which was Dennis. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, we used to do Forever as kind of a tribute to Dennis. Yep, sure. Uh, let me think if we've done anything by Carl. No, I don't think we've done anything. There was, you know, there was talk of doing like Feel Flows or something like that, but we have not. That's always the sort of the the conundrum we are, we put ourselves into with when you got the catalog that Brian has, and then you, you remind yourself, okay, it's a Brian Wilson tour, 
what songs do you, you know, we get excited about doing a song and then we think, well, yeah, but if we have, if we do that, we have to leave something out. And what do we leave out? You know, and then there's always this demand, or we hear from the fans like, "Oh, we've heard all those before. Try new things." So it's 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 tricky, you know. It's tricky, and especially on a tour like this, where a whole set is devoted to an album. Yep. So so you you don't have a lot of leeway with with the uh, with the remaining selections, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then, who, then we, who chooses who chooses the material? Is it Brian who selects everything, or does he allow you know, yourself or other members of the band to make picks? Oh yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't like choosing the songs. What he likes to do is he see the songs and then decide <laughs> whether he what he doesn't want to do or you know. So we we come up with the lists and then he he looks at it. Okay. Uh, and that and that when you come up with the list, that yeah, that's that's a lot of people chiming in because you know let's face it if al jardine and blondie are involved then they should have a say as to what you know they feel comfortable singing and things like that so that's how it all kind of comes together and then you know and then we all sort of decide along with brian what makes for a good set and sometimes it takes a while you know sometimes like on this tour i mean there there, there have been tours where we've you know we've changed the set list every night trying to find that magic sequence you know that sequence that that feels right with the right build and the right amount of you know getting the audience in the mood of you know okay we have to tribute brian's legacy as you know the early beach boys songs and then you want to build from there and expand out you know it's it, it, it's 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 definitely a an art form to try to find that what works and i think the set we have now seems to work pretty well Sure. Leaving this town, yeah, that would be great to do. It's just, and it might happen later on in the year. We've only started, you know. Nice. nice. Same, with the, same with the Al stuff, you know, the Al songs. What do you do? You know, there's so many songs that Brian, right now we're kind of doing the songs that Al sings uh, that Brian wrote. But Al wrote a few songs, some good songs. And there's still a whole lot of cool songs that Brian wrote that, you know, that Al sang on as well. So, you know, just we're looking to, to mix it up. We did, like, for example, when we were doing last year, we had Al singing. We were doing things like uh, Cotton Fields and mm-hmm. California Saga, you know, things that Al sang lead on. Right. But again, with, with this with this tighter concert since you know again since since half of it is devoted to pet sounds we can't stretch out as much which is why i'm so surprised that they still asked me to sing darling because i (laughs) i was just thinking why do you want to hear me sing when you got you know i'm taking up a slot but apparently brian really loves it and the guys all love when i sing it and i think they're probably thinking well we better use we better take advantage of him while he's still yeah 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 so that's that well look i got to say thank you so much darian it's been an absolute thrill and really educational for me to uh just sit back and and uh talk about your own music and and about brian and just to get oh, some did. sort of insight into everything you've done thanks for having me maurice cheers
and I really, really hope that you enjoyed that interview. I certainly had a fantastic time speaking to Darian. He was very, very generous with his conversation time. He could have easily gone and given me half an hour, and I would have been very, very grateful for that. But we just kept talking and talking and talking. We even spoke some time with the recorders off, so he was, uh, as I said, very, very generous with his time. And I like to think he enjoyed having a bit of a chat about something that wasn't just Pet Sounds related, and uh, he told me that... uh, that was one of the reasons why he was quite happy to do the conversation with me because we're going to be doing a far more broad conversation than just about the uh, Pet Sounds album which uh, Brian was touring behind. So uh, my gratitude to uh, Darian for being such a wonderful guest, uh, a great conversationalist. And I should also uh, give a big shout out and a big thanks to uh, Sarah at uh, Bluesfest who uh, was my initial contact in trying to get the interview with Darian and also then to Jean, who I'm presuming is part of uh, Brian Wilson's management team. Uh, Both of those ladies, thank you so very, very much for coordinating and uh, putting me in touch with Darian Sahanaja for uh, that uh, wonderful chat, which I really, really hope you uh, listeners out there all enjoyed. If you did, please spread the word and let any of your uh, Brian Wilson loving friends, any of your Wonderments loving friends, any of your Austin Powers loving friends, any of your Burt Bacharach and Henry Mancini loving friends, just any of your music loving friends, let them know that the show exists and let them know that this episode exists and hopefully they'll get something out of it. Okay, we're at the end of another episode of Love That Album. So there's going to be a few little changes over the next few months. Uh, I'm not actually going to go into it just here, just yet, but I'll be putting out like a maybe a five or ten minute announcement over the next few weeks, and uh, we'll let you know what is happening here at Love That Album headquarters. Uh, so uh, anyway, please stick around and. Um, hopefully uh, we'll have some more interesting shows for you over the coming months but as I said yeah there'll be an announcement that'll be uh, coming out onto the Love It Album Podbean feed Uh, as I said if you um, subscribe to the show already through iTunes and it'll automatically come into your feed but just keep an eye out either on the Facebook page or on uh, lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or lovethatalbum.podbean.com and uh, you can download and um, hear what is going to be happening over the next few months. Uh, And I think that pretty much covers it. Also, just one final reminder that if you want to hear a little bit more of Darian, then go over to the See Here podcast feed that's either see here s-w-h-e-a-r in the itunes store or see here.podbean.com you can download that extra episode and hear what darian had to say about his time spent on the love and mercy film uh, some more fascinating conversation from darian sahanaja all right until next time please look after yourselves please be nice to one another because it's a pretty nasty world in some ways and uh, what we really need is love and mercy. So uh, until next time, it's over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 